right, so this is the uh, Shabbat uh, in between Yom Kippur uh, and, uh, and Sukkot. Uh, and, uh, and of course, um, in our Torah study, we'll talk about Hazinu, we'll talk about the Torah portion and, and the Haftorah portion. But, uh, you know, I thought to myself, well, what do we talk about on this day? Because we're still on this journey, and we know that the Shabbat, like the Shabbat just before Rosh Hashanah is very significant. The Shabbat in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is called Shabbat Shuva, the uh, Sabbath of repentance, right? But this one is sort of like we're waiting for Sukkot. And, I, and as, I, as I have shared, traditionally in the, in, the, in the Jewish community, Sukkot is kind of a, a minor holiday. I, and and so, so today, for example, today it's like, oh, the high holy days are over. And uh, it's kind of like back to normal, except for Sukkot, you know, that, that, that we have. Uh, but really, uh, it is really a, a very important holiday. And that's something that we want to understand. So today, I thought, uh, I'm going to give kind of like an overview of, uh, an overview of Sukkot. Uh, because we have actually, uh, we have a Monday night, Tuesday morning, and then next Shabbat, and then really uh, Simchat Torah at the end. So we have a lot to talk about, a lot of opportunities to talk about Sukkot. And, uh, and, uh, and, and so today is sort of like an overview, and then we're going to break it down on the, uh, on, uh, on, on the individual days. I can tell you that on Monday night, I, I think it is, a, is kind of significant because we're going to uh, look at a, a portion of what we're supposed to remember on Sukkot and really reflect on the in the days in which we live. And we're going to look at some passages from the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, so that'll be kind of interesting on, uh, on Monday. But anyway, the history of it. What is this holiday all about? The Feast of Tabernacles. So the first thing I want to say is, and, uh, and, I, and I, you know, I'm, uh, for fear of repeating myself, someone asked me, someone asked me this the other day on Yom Kippur. So it made me think, I better say this. We've all, we've all heard of the Feast of Tabernacles, right? Everybody's heard of that phrase, Feast of Tabernacles, right? Okay. Uh, like the word propitiation, tabernacle is not a word that you're going to use like when you're hanging out with somebody, right? Okay. So it's kind of an important word for us to understand. The reason you ever even heard of that word is because of the King James Bible. It's the only reason you even know that word. Okay, it's sort of an old English word uh, for dwelling together, okay, uh, or for a, a hut or a, a, a temporary shelter, okay? And so that's why the first thing we think of when we think of tabernacle is the tabernacle in the wilderness, all right? You know, with the Holy of Holies and, and all of that, okay? All right. Now, unfortunately, the, uh, this holiday... Uh, in the English King James Bible, became, was called the Feast of Tabernacles. The problem is, it has nothing to do with the tabernacle in the wilderness. Okay, and nothing, zero, nothing to do with it. Okay, uh, but many people, oh, the Feast of like the Tabernacle in the wilderness. No, it, it, no, 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 two different things. And really, uh, in Hebrew, there's two different words. The tabernacle in the wilderness is called the Mishkan. In Hebrew, it's called Mishkan, okay? It's not called the Sukkah in the wilderness, okay? The Sukkah, where the Holy of Holy was, okay? It's called the Mishkan, different altogether. 
The uh, word for this holiday is, we all know that, Sukkot, okay? Sukkah, uh, which means a temporary shelter. And so, unfortunately, and this is true in every single English Bible that there is, that, that sometimes the words, you know, don't exactly reflect what's going on in the Hebrew, in Hebrew or, in, you know, and so on. So, um, I, so that's the first thing I want to say, is that this holiday is not about the, the tabernacle in the wilderness, okay? I, uh, that's the first thing. So what is it then? What is it? Well, uh, interestingly enough, the first place we read about it in the book of Exodus doesn't even call it Sukkot. It goes by a number of different names. Uh, in Exodus chapter 23, in verse 16, it says, You shall also observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. Okay? Also, the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. So it's called the feast of ingathering. Uh, the feast of ingathering. The feast of the harvest. Uh, is another term for uh, Shavuot. But at the end of the year, the Feast of Ingathering. So the, the main uh, meaning of this holiday, when it was first understood, it was an agricultural holiday, like every holiday, like every holiday, was based on agriculture, based on the agricultural cycle in, uh, in Israel. And so uh, the Feast of in the Ingathering of the Fall Harvest, okay, so uh, they would have their pumpkin spice, um, I don't know, challah or something, maybe, pumpkin spice, uh, kiddish, I'm not sure, but, uh, it, you know, uh, but it, it takes place at, uh, at this time of the year. Uh, and then, of course, uh, sometimes, by the way, it's also called the Feast of the Lord. It's the Feast of the Lord. In fact, uh, I would say, I'm going to go out on a little limb here and say, if you do a uh, if you do a search of the feast of the Lord in the Tanakh, it's actually Sukkot. Okay, uh, it's not a lot. It's only it's not like there's twenty times. I'm just saying. Okay, but there's one, for example, in the book of Judges. We don't need to, we don't have time to turn there. But in the book of Judges, where it talks about the threshing floor and the and the wine vat. Uh, uh, at the the feast of the Lord, and certainly grapes would be uh, a harvest uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of the year. But of course, uh, we know it mostly by what it is called in the book of Leviticus and elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible uh, uh, and in the New Covenant, frankly. And that is uh, Sukkot, the feast of booths, right? The feast of booths. So in Leviticus chapter 23, where we have uh, the different holidays mentioned, right after the Day of Atonement, uh, we see here um, in verse 33, uh, uh, again the Lord spoke to Moses saying, <laughs> a unique verse in the Bible, speak to the sons of Israel saying, on the 15th day of this seventh month is the Feast of Booths for seven days to the Lord. On the first day as a holy convocation, you shall do no laborious work of any kind. For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. You shall do no laborious work. So to this day, 
Sukkot is a seven-day holiday with an extra day. Uh, and uh, the eighth day is called Shmini Atzeret, which means like the eighth convocation, <laughs> to use that terminology. Uh, and, uh, and it's an extra day. Traditionally, it's a day of praying for rain, uh, and, um, uh, and it, it is the conclusion of the, of the uh, holiday. Um, but uh, basically, it's seven days, uh, seven days long. In uh, the Jewish world today, uh, the first two days and the last two days uh, are, uh, are holy, or would be called holy days. And the days in between is the holiday. But like if you're a very observant Jewish person, you would go to work on those uh, intervening days. But the first two days and the last two days there are, you know, larger services and so on and so forth, okay? What's interesting is when you read the next verse, these are the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations, to present by fire to the Lord, holy or burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices, libations, uh, each day's matter on its own, besides those Sabbaths of the Lord and besides your gifts and besides all your votive and freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord. What's interesting is the chapter could have ended there. Do you, do you ever notice that? I probably, I've said it before. <laughs> that it, 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 the, the chapter could end there. It's sort of like it clo- these are the appointed times of the Lord. It doesn't say much about the Feast of Booths. It doesn't tell us why we observe it. It just tells us that, that it's there, right? Then very interestingly, verses 39 to 44, it's almost like Moses added something at the end. Because these are the appointed times of the Lord. But then, for some reason, beginning in verse 39, he goes back to Sukkot again and talks about what we do on that holiday. Just, I'm just going to leave that in the category of very interesting. Okay, On exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord. See, now here you get the whole thing. It's called the feast of the Lord, and it talks about gathering in crops. Okay, uh, and it's a rest uh, on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Uh, uh, now, on the first day, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Now, uh, from time immemorial, this uh, up until really the days of uh, the Talmud, really, until maybe... 200 to 300 uh, CE or AD, okay? Uh, there was a question about what that meant. So, and so some uh, believed that you would decorate the sukkah, it was like the roof of the sukkah or something, with this is how you'd make the sukkah with these materials. Uh, however, uh, the rabbis concluded that no, you hold them in your hand. Uh, and uh, you know you hold them in your hand and you and and you shake and you shake them uh, and so to this day that's what the lulav and etrog is uh, palm branches willows and myrtle right and you hold it you hold it in your hand uh, and you have uh, 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 in English a citron really it's called uh, and a it's sort of a mutant lemon right and you hold it in your hand and that's and we sort of Wave it before God. And we'll be doing that on Monday night and on, uh, on Tuesday uh, morning. Then it says, uh, again, about celebrating, right? It's an emphasis on celebration. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. 
for seven days uh, in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate in the seventh month. And then it says, you shall live in booths for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that I have this that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the, from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the sons of Israel the appointed times of the Lord. You know what's really fascinating is that there's nowhere else in the entire Bible that tells us, one, that the people dwelt in booths when they were in the wilderness. Uh, uh, or uh, we would not know. We would, have, we would not know it except for these couple of verses. You know, But they're there, and so... Uh, there we are. And, and so uh, we build uh, the sukkah. It's supposed to be a flimsy structure. It's not supposed to be something that's, a per- that's something very permanent. And it reminds us of the presence, protection, and, you know, um, of, uh, and presence of, uh, of God um, when the people were in the wilderness and, uh, and for us, uh, and for us uh, t- today. Now, uh, but there's other things about Sukkot that we read about in the Torah. For example, in the book of Deuteronomy 1, in chapter 16 of Deuteronomy, it says this in uh, chapter 13, I believe, it, uh, verse 13. Yeah, there it is, of, of, uh, of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16. You shall celebrate the Feast of Booths seven days after you have gathered in from your threshing floor and your wine vat. Okay, that's exactly what it says, by the way, in the book of Judges, uh, in chapter 21, in verse 19, except it simply calls it the Feast of the Lord. Uh, and, and so that's uh, uh, kind of interesting. It tells us about not only that it was a feast of ingathering, but it tells us a little bit about what was gathered in. <laughs> you know, that uh, uh, grapes uh, certainly uh, uh, was a significant part of the fruit. You know, fruit, fruit uh, a gathering in, okay, a, a fruit bearing. We also read uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, okay, that was, this was actually last week's Torah portion, right? In uh, chapter 31, uh, in uh, verse, uh, verse 10, Moses is saying uh, about, you know, uh, what to do when you enter the land, when, when the people enter the land. He says, um, in verse 10, then Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he shall choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Isn't it interesting what it says about Sukkot? This is when the, you shall appear before the Lord your God. Okay, It was this uh, third feast of ingathering. right? Uh, and that this is why... By the time uh, in, the old, in the Second Temple period, and perhaps even earlier, uh, that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur were leading up to Sukkot. Now, they're important holiday. They were important then, as they're important now. But one of the things that's really clear is we don't read about on Yom Kippur, you should do this. On Rosh Hashanah, you should do this. Except those few verses in Leviticus chapter 23, about blow the shofar, you know, and fast. <laughs> and, and then, of course, in uh, Leviticus 16, about the particular offering, offerings of purification on the Day of Atonement. But you read about Sukkot. Sukkot becomes almost like, I think of it as like every man's holiday, 
You, you, you know what I mean? Like, everyone is participating. Uh, it's a joyous celebration. Everybody participates. It's, we, we enjoy the fruit of the land, the blessing of God, and, you know, all, all that kind of thing. Uh, and we celebrate uh, the, uh, we celebrate the, uh, the Torah. You shall read this law in front of all Israel on Sukkot every seven years. Okay? So clearly a very important holiday. Then the curtains pull, pulled back for us, and we get to understand a little bit of the importance of this holiday after the captivity. How do we know that? Because of what we read in Ezra and uh, Nehemiah. Okay? In Ezra chapter 3, we read uh, here in verse uh, 4, And they celebrated the Feast of Booths, as it is written, and offered the fixed number of burnt offerings daily according to the ordinance as each day day requires. Now, this is really interesting because in Numbers chapter 29, and who's not familiar with Numbers 29, right? That's where you read about the offerings on the holidays. And there were more offerings offered on Sukkot than any any other day. There were 70 altogether, 70 offerings on Sukkot, more than any other day. That came to be understood as Israel interceding for the nations, by the way, that, uh, you know, 70 representing uh, the totality of something, you know, uh, and so the, the nations, and that Israel is called to be a light to the nations and we're to pray for the nations, and so, therefore, uh, that's the significance of so many offerings. Kind of interesting, Right? So it's amazing how important this holiday is, right? Then in Nehemiah uh, chapter 8, in verse uh, 14, but actually I wanted to mention, what else here? Uh, one second. Yeah, in verse 2 of, uh, of Nehemiah 8, Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of the men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Now that's interesting, right? Because we know what is the first day of the seventh month we know that it's Rosh Hashanah, right? Uh, it, that's, that's Rosh Hashanah. But it doesn't say anything about blowing shofars. It doesn't say anything about preparing for Yom Kippur. It just says that on that day, he, he uh, read the, the law to the people, right? And we can keep reading and so on and, and how they worship. That's also very, very interesting, right? Uh, but if you go down to verse 14, it says, And they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Notice it's called the feast of the seventh month, right? So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and in Jerusalem saying, go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, branches of other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. By the way, uh, when it says, as it is written, I, of course, uh, this is not an MSI class, but I'll tell you, when you read that in, you don't read that too much before Ezra and Nehemiah, as it is written. You know why? Because after the Babylonian captivity, when the people came back, this is when Ezra and Nehemiah are, now people, they beca- Israel became, so to speak, people of the book. Now they would read it, like we do, and say, oh, that's what we do on this holiday. That's what we should do. Uh, and so it's very interesting that rather than just the priests doing it, now they read it to the people 
And the people understood, oh, this is what we do. We, we read it and we understand it. We celebrate this holiday and we, you know, fulfill the uh, customs uh, and traditions. That's kind of interesting, I think. Okay. So then it says, so the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And the entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son, the, the son of Nun, in that day. And there was great rejoicing. Interesting, right? And he read from the book of the law of God daily from the first day to the last day. And they celebrated the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. So we see how important uh, Sukkot uh, was. Uh, also, uh, Solomon's temple was dedicated on Sukkot, and the second temple was dedicated uh, a few months later, but they celebrated Sukkot a few months later, and that holiday became known as Hanukkah. <laughs> okay? That's another story for, you know, for another day. But the point is, is the importance of this holiday of celebration celebration, of dedication, of reading the Torah, of rejoicing, of ingathering, all of it. Uh, remembering, you know, God's provision and his presence and so on uh, as, uh, as well. But something interesting takes place as, this, as time moves on. This holiday evolves. It evolves and takes on different meanings as time goes on. Very interesting. Because by the time you get to Zechariah, for example, by the time you get to Zechariah, who uh, was um, a, a, a prophet after the captivity, uh, you know, like around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, okay? Very interesting. Suddenly, we read something totally different about Sukkot, uh, taking on a different kind of meaning, and that is in chapter 14. Okay, of uh, Zechariah. In chapter 14, behold, the day is coming, uh, behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you shall be divided. I will gather all the nations from Jerusalem to battle, and, uh, you know, the city will be captured, the houses plundered, and so on. This is the end. This is, you know, the great uh, tribulation, the great battle at the end, right? And then the Lord returns, right? Right. It, it, when things seem uh, so dark, the Lord returns, according to this text, according to these texts. Uh, and uh, uh, we read here uh, that it will be uh, a unique day when that happens, right? Uh, that the Mount of Olives will split. Day will look like night. Uh, night will look like day. I, I, as it says, as it says here in verse six, and it will come about on that day. There will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle for it will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. It will come about that even at evening time, there will be light. I, and then it says, and it will come about in that day that living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the Eastern sea, the other half toward the Western sea. And it will be summer as in summer as well as winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be one in his name one. We sing uh, that at the end of the service oftentimes, right? 
and it talks about physical changes in the land and so on and so forth. Well, at the end of the day, it says in verse 16, then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate Passover. No, it doesn't say that. To observe Yom Kippur. It just, if I was writing it, right? It would just make sense. But it says the Feast of Booths. Sukkot. When the Lord returns, we'll all be celebrating Sukkot. You know? Uh, now, that doesn't mean, uh, you know, Passover, you know, is out the window. We do read passages about Passover. But, but the point is, is that Sukkot takes, like, center stage. It, now it has, like, an end-time meaning, like, uh, representing the ingathering of people, the ingathering of nations, like, the fruit of nations coming to Eretz Yisrael, you know, the same, that, like, that idea of a pilgrimage festival. Now the nations come for the pil- are making the pilgrimage, you know, not just Israel, but the nations. And so you have that, that picture and of the fruit being gathered in, indeed, uh, from uh, all, of the, uh, all of the nations. Now, this uh, was not, um, uh, this was not um, left to the imagination of uh, the, uh, the ancient rabbis. Because they understood when you come to the period of time, you know, after this, in the days of Yeshua, and the hundreds of years after Yeshua, when these, when these passages were all being uh, understood by people, uh, in the Jewish world, the, the, in the Talmud, in the Mishnah, the, the heavyweights of the, of the, you know, the rabbinic literature, Sukkot comes to represent also what's called the heavenly sukkah. And that the uh, and that the cloud of glory in the wilderness was like a sukkah covering the people. See, uh, and so it wasn't just back in the wilderness, and it wasn't just God uh, having the people live uh, in little huts, but it is that God will again dwell with His people in a supernatural, unique kind of way. And that is why uh, you, you know when we come to the New Covenant, why we read about Sukkot in some very prominent places, okay? And the building of sukkahs in prominent places. One prominent place, we're not going to turn there, but you can read it on your own, is in the Gospel of Matthew, where we read about the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Where Yeshua is transformed. Isn't it interesting that in that text, it talks about a cloud? They see the cloud, and what does Peter say? Shall I build Sukkot? He was not like coming out of nowhere. It wasn't like, what? Well, you know, that, uh, that it, it is an amazing thing that it, it's sort of like taking what's in Zechariah chapter 14 and saying, okay, this is the beginning of the end. He sees Yeshua in his glory. He sees the cloud. Okay, maybe this is it. <laughs> you know, let's build Sukkot. Let's build Sukkot. Uh, because, I mean, if I was there, I'd be thinking, maybe this is the very end. Maybe this is it, you know? But we know that it was not it, right? Because in uh, the Gospel of John, in the seventh chapter, a passage many of us are familiar with, we know that it was Sukkot. How do we know? Because it says it. Aren't we glad about that? 
It says in verse 2 of John 7, now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths was at hand. Notice it's called the feast of the Jews, the feast of the Lord. It is like It was like this, a very prominent feast, the feast of the Jews. Sukkot was at hand. All right. Okay, so now when you come to the end of the chapter, we know it's Sukkot. When, uh, when um, we read here uh, uh, in verse 37, now on, that day, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Hoshana Rabbah, Hoshana Rabbah, the seventh day of the feast. That's what it's called in Hebrew today. Hoshana Rabbah, save us please. Or actually, literally, it's like save us a lot. Hoshana Rabbah, right? Uh, and, or save us very much. Uh, and, uh, and a great prayer uh, uh, for a deliverance uh, on that day. Uh, and, uh, and so we should not let that get by us. The last day, the great day of the feast. Okay, so uh, as uh, you may be aware that uh, on Sukkot, there were certain traditions. We don't read about them in the, in the Tanakh, but there were certain traditions that were going on at, at this time, okay? Uh, one tradition was a water-pouring ceremony, a water-pouring ceremony where priests would go to the Pool of Siloam and they would come back and, and they would pour, this is what a libation was. There would be this water-pouring offering every day, okay? Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and then also, uh, just so we know, that there was also another tradition and that tradition was lighting the, uh, illuminating the temple. And it was done in a kind of an interesting way. Uh, that in the four corners uh, of, the, of the temple area there, there would be big vats of oil, big vats of oil. And they would take the old clothes of the priests and make huge wicks out of them. And they would, they would light them up. And, the, and no, there was no street lights in that day, right? Wow. If you don't get anything else about that, anyway, okay? Uh, and so you could see it, like, from far away. And so uh, it probably is no coincidence that in the eighth chapter, he's, Yeshua says, I'm the light of the world, you know, in, in, at that time. It was right at that, right at that time, you know? It's kind of interesting. But this water pouring is rather interesting. I want to read something about it, okay? Uh, okay, so uh, I'll tell you where it comes from in a minute. But it says here, the seventh day of the feast was a special day called Hoshana Rabbah. Each day of the feast, the priests would form a procession around the altar singing, Oh, then now salvation uh, of, of God. Uh, uh, oh, then now work salvation, uh, uh, Yahweh, Yudhei Vavhei, okay, Adonai. That's from Psalm 118, okay? On Hoshana Rabbah, they would proceed seven times around the altar. See, on this day, it was seven times around. It, it, uh, the other days, they would, they, would, they would pour the water. But now, on the seventh day, it was a huge event, a bigger event than on the other days. Okay? On Hoshana Rabbah, they would proceed seven times around the altar. According to the Talmud, the reason for the water pouring was a plea that God would pour out his ruach, fulfilling Isaiah 12.3 with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Okay? I will say, if you've ever read anything in the Talmud, you know that there's never one reason given for anything. Okay? So this is one of the reasons. It's also for like praying for rain. Okay? 
But this is also one of them. And rain meant like the blessing of God. That, so anyway. Also during the days of the temple, another tradition emerged. According to the Mishnah, at the end of the first day of the feast, the worshipers would go to the sections of the temple called the Court of the Women. Four golden candelabras were there uh, with four golden bowls. And against them rested four ladders, four youths of priestly descent. Each had a pitcher of oil. Each would go up on one of the ladders and fill each bowl with the oil. The wicks were made out of the worn-out clothing of the priests. All of Jerusalem was aglow. It was a night of it was a night of rejoicing. The Chasadim, not to be confused with the Chasidim, just the uh, the, the people who were uh, uh, doing this work and uh, the, the people who were most attuned to the things of God. Uh, it says the, the the Chasidim or the very devout men would dance all night with flaming torches in their hands. The Levites would play music all night long. The instruments were harps, lutes, cymbals, and trumpets, uh, and instruments of music without number. They stood upon the 15 steps which led down from the court of Israel to that of the women, according to the number of the 15 songs of degrees in the book of Psalms, Psalm 120 through 134, including 120, that makes 15, okay? Uh, uh, two priests with trumpets in their hands, uh, were at the upper gate, which led to the court of Israel, to the uh, court of the women. Uh, you know, when the rooster would crow, they drew a threefold blast as they reached the tenth step and drew another threefold blast as they entered the court itself. They drew yet another threefold blast and they blew as they advanced uh, uh, till they reached the east gate. Uh, as they came to the eastern gate, they turned around toward the west and said, "Of." Um, our fathers who were in this place, they returned uh, their back upon the sanctuary of the Lord and their faces toward the east, and they worshiped toward the rising sun. But as for us, our eyes are toward the uh, Lord. Uh, okay, and there's more. Uh, there, there's more that, uh, that went on at this time. They would sprinkle actually uh, uh, blood and water, blood of animal sacrifice and water rather interesting. And also, uh, it is also interesting to see how they did it. It's kind of interesting. So where does all that come from? Uh, well, many years ago, there was a, uh, a Messianic Jewish man. He lived in the 19th century. His name was Alfred Edersheim, okay? Uh, and he wrote, uh, he, was, uh, he came to know Messiah during a period of time in the second half of the 19th century where there was a revival in Europe of Jewish people coming to believe, a revival. Many, many Jewish people came to faith. And many of them were like Talmudic scholars. Uh, There's other names that you may not be familiar with, uh, but he's the most famous one because what he wrote became the most famous book. He wrote a book called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. It's like a thousand pages. Uh, uh, and I, it, it, it's sort of like, you know, a life of Messiah, but understanding uh, so much of it uh, from the, the Jewish life of Yeshua, okay? And then uh, he wrote a book called The Temple in the, to the, temple in the Time of Messiah, something to that. And, and, uh, and basically, the temple in the time of Messiah takes a lot of the material from the life and times of Jesus the Messiah, but specifically about how holidays were celebrated and, and how life was lived in the first century and, 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 and so on. And then, uh, uh, because he wrote at the end of the 19th century, Many, many, many other people took his information and included it in their books. 
Okay. Now, there are other books uh, on, uh, on all of this. One of them is uh, uh, by Jeff Rubenstein. Uh, not our Jeff Rubenstein. What's your middle name? David. You are Jeffrey D. Rubenstein, but the other one is Jeffrey L. Rubenstein, right? And he wrote a book uh, uh, about uh, Sukkot during the Second Temple period. Uh, and that's a, sort of a little scholarly work, and but uh, very full of uh, information as well. I'm not pulling this out of the sky here, if you know what I'm saying, okay? Uh, and, uh, and, and so what does that mean to us? Well, why did I say all of that? Because it helps us to understand what's going on in John chapter 7, right? Uh, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Yeshua stood and cried out saying, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Interesting that he says, let him come to me and drink. This is, what, this is like the high point, right? Like everybody can hear him. Can you imagine what that must have been like? You, you know, they're, they're dancing around the altar. They're pouring the, pouring the water. And Yeshua says, come to me and drink. He was either a megalomaniac or the Lord, right? I mean, you, you know, they're, they're pouring this out in the presence of God. He says, come to me and drink. Let it never be said that Yeshua did not identify himself uh, as uh, the God of Israel, okay? When he says, come to me and drink, that can only mean one thing, right? He is the author of salvation, okay? Uh, and uh, the text continues here. He says, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Okay, rivers of living water. Uh, rivers of living uh, uh, water. Very, uh, very interesting. Uh, where do we read about rivers of living water? Well, one of them we just read in from, uh, in, you know, in Zechariah chapter 14, that out of Jerusalem would flow rivers of living water, right? At the end, right? Out of Jerusalem would flow, flow rivers of living water. And then uh, in, uh, I believe it's the 47th chapter of Ezekiel, it says from under the temple would flow rivers of living water. What Yeshua is doing is identifying himself with Yerushalayim, with the temple. Out of me shall flow rivers of living water. Now, what, he, what he's saying is, is that this is the beginning of the end. I don't th we don't want to read too much into, what, you know, uh, is he saying he's Jerusalem or, you know, or, or so on. But he's saying that out of me, I am the goal. Out of me shall flow rivers of living water. Now, this idea of living water goes back, we read about it in the book of Jeremiah. Okay? Uh, and, uh, uh, and I believe, you know, the people hearing it, what they're really getting out of it, I'm going to suggest, is not so much that he's Jerusalem or that he's the temple, this is the people that are hearing it, but that he is the one who gives the living water. In uh, Jeremiah uh, uh, chapter uh, 17, in verse 13, we read, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake thee will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. You know, and so on. So, Yeshua is saying, that's me. Out of me comes the living water, the Mayim Chaim, right? 
Uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, in uh, uh, chapter 2 uh, of uh, the same book of Jeremiah, we read, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no, uh, no water. So when he says uh, here, he who believes, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. May I suggest when it says the scripture is, is talking about living water, perhaps he's thinking about those Jeremiah passages about the living water. You know, where does the living water come from? Out of me shuffle rivers of living water. And then connecting that, of course, it's amazing that you read about these living waters in Zechariah 14 and uh, uh, Ezekiel 47 because, in other words, at the consummation, at the Alam Haba, the living waters are going to flow freely. And Yeshua is saying, the living water flows freely through me. Do not forsake the fountain of living waters. Do not forsake the one who gives, uh, who gives life. And of course, think about that with the backdrop of them pouring the water. Send the ruach. Send the living water. Send the rain for the land. Send the rain for us. Send the refreshment for us. And here Yeshua says, I am the author of living waters. Okay. Uh, and so on Sukkot, we, when, you real, when we think about renewal, when we think about repentance, reconciliation, you know, and restoration and renewal, may I suggest, isn't it an interesting view here that you have repentance and then we have reconciliation and then we have living water, that you can't get to the living water without the repentance and the restoration, or the reconciliation, you know? Very, very important. That, that is why confession is so important. That is why repentance is so important. That is why allowing God to open up our heart is so important. That is why humility is so important. That is why coming to God with a broken and contrite heart is so important. Notice I said so important. We need to really ask ourselves, what's important and what's not important? This is what God values. This is what God desires. Now, there's a fascinating passage as we come uh, sometime toward the close of the thing, uh, closer than we were a minute ago. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel chapter 36, a fascinating passage about the future. It says uh, here um, uh, in verse 24 of uh, Ezekiel 36, For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall be careful to observe my ordinances. So isn't that interesting? You have this passage where where we read God is going to give us a new heart. He's going to uh, give us, um, he says, I, I will uh, uh, clean you with water. I, I will uh, put my spirit within you. And so when you go back to John chapter 7, and then you have verse 39. 
Notice verse 39 is not the words of Yeshua, by the way. The words of John commenting on uh, the words of Yeshua. Okay? Uh, Verse 37 and 38 is the words of Yeshua. And in verse 39, John explains what he means. He says, But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who would believe in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Yeshua was not yet glorified. And so, in order for the living water to be poured out, Yeshua had to die. He had to take our sins on himself. He had to bear our sins. He had to also, you know, die instead of us. He had to make atonement for our sins in order for the Ruach to be poured out. And so in our own lives, we need to repent, die to self, so to speak, live the resurrection life, and we will drink from waters that have no end. Then, uh, you know, uh, that passage in uh, Isaiah uh, uh, chapter 12 becomes uh, a truly, uh, you know, uh, a reality. Uh, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyfully draw waters from the springs of salvation. In that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known uh, throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of uh, Israel. Uh, You know, and uh, and so uh, clearly we see that this is, uh, uh, you know, what we receive in the Messiah. Uh, And uh, this is what Yeshua was talking about. Uh, You know, uh, when uh, he uh, uh, is talking about the uh, woman, talking to the woman at the well, right? Uh, Here, we read here, the Samaritan woman therefore said to him, how is it that you being a Jew... Ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman. Yeshua answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you what? Living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle, Yeshua said to her, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Give me this water, she then says. May we drink from that well. May we not look to everything else for satisfaction, to everything that we can create, everything that we can do, or what, you know, whatever aspiration we have, or demanding uh, my way or the highway, or uh, you know, what, whatever it may be. No, you're not going to be satisfied. You will not be satisfied. No, satisfaction only comes when we drink from the living water, from the wells of salvation. And this is available to us when we receive Messiah into our lives and from then on out for the rest of our lives. 
Uh, and so when we come to these holidays, you know, uh, it's so important. If, if we live a life of repentance and confession, if we live a life of brokenness of heart, the paradox is we come to God with a broken heart and then he fills us to satisfaction. We don't come to God filling ourselves and then sort of get the kosher sign from him or something. You know, we cannot fill ourselves. All we can do is confess and repent and come to him broken. He will fill us. We will have joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. We will not be alienated from people. We won't have all those roots of bitterness. We'll be able to forgive freely. Because God is giving us a healing. Did you notice in that passage that we read in Jeremiah 17, right? Don't forsake the fountain of living water. Heal me, Lord, right? Uh, and so on Sukkot, that's all of that is Sukkot. And so may we come to this holiday with uh, just joy and thanksgiving and a renewed relationship and just vigor, spiritual vigor and spiritual vitality. That's what it's all about in the sukkah. And uh, so uh, we will uh, talk about different parts of this over the, next, uh, over the next week. But that is kind of like the, 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 the you know, the ganze Geschichte, right? The big story of, uh, of uh, Sukkot. Uh, and uh, it's a rich experience. And so may we really take the initiative to dwell on it, to be thankful, uh, uh, to continue in that journey of confession and repentance, right? And really experience uh, the real taste of living. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you for the living water. Thank you, God, that the prophets exhorted the people to look in the right place for the living water. Our ancestors... And to this day, our people continue to look for living water in places that they're not going to find it. Lord, sadly, that goes for many of us who, who have embraced Yeshua, but our life seems to be no different than, you know, uh, uh, than before we knew the Lord. May we never forget where we come from. May we never forget, you know, the need to cry out, uh, 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 to you, Lord, like we did at the beginning, and maybe experience that, that joy and that refreshment and that forgiveness that we had at the beginning. May we experience it again and again. And thank you, God, that you give us a day, you give us a season to remember this and to really uh, uh, take the initiative. May we drink the water that satisfies. Lord, I know that many of us have a parched have parched throats, and uh, we're looking we're looking for the water. God, may we once again just humbly come to you and be satisfied. Yeshua is indeed the author and finisher of our faith, and I pray that we would always come to Yeshua, the one who quenches our thirst. We pray in Messiah's name.